Good morning. Here we go. Good morning, Quentin. I was just testing whether my mic is working. <laughs> Good to see you all this morning here. Wonderful to have you here join us, worshipping our great God. And I just want to start uh, the service with reading Psalm 24. Um, and that will be up on the screen. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. That's including all of us. For the, he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust in an idol or swear by false god, gods. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. They will be blessed. <laughs> Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? Can we read together who he is? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord almighty. He is the king of glory. Beautiful. And we want to lift those ancient old gates of our hearts to op be open to him and uh, to change our lives. So let's have a sh uh, time of worship together. Let's stand. Let's just do some announcements. Demo, is there any specific things you would like to say? Two, two, one, two. Yes, thank you so much, Monica. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to church this morning. So great to have you here with us. Uh, my name is Damo. I am the current pastor of Margaret River Baptist Church. Um, such a warm welcome to extend to our visitors. We've got some extended family in the room. Um, and uh, today, we've got a lot of people here uh, to, uh, to hear our guest speaker, who's a pastoral candidate, um, Ian Packer. I'm going to let Monica introduce him a little bit later. Uh, for those that need to know what's going on with our announcements, what's going on in our church, uh, we are going to be starting a uh, discipleship series in the new... Um, new term called The Good and Beautiful Community. The book's up there. There is a sign-up sheet in the back corner there, and I don't know why that's clicking. Maybe I'll jump up on the pulpit. Um, so we've got The Good Beautiful Community, but we're going to do that. We're waiting on the last people to join up before we announce what the groups are going to be, uh, and we're going to have a leaders meeting for those groups so that we know how to lead our groups uh, coming up on the 8th of February at 7pm, it's a Wednesday night. So, when we let you know what the groups are, we'll also encourage the leaders to come on that date um, so that we can all get pre-prepared for our small group series that we're going to do. Um, second thing, uh, we've got a board meeting coming up and at our board meeting we'll be discussing and uh, talking about all the business of the church generally. Uh, from that, the board is going to recommend that the members have a special general meeting Within the dates of March sometime, we will let those um, dates come out to you and as we've had the meeting, we've decided and discussed on that. Um, at that members' meeting, we'll be discussing things such as staffing and things like the membership covenant and membership in general, uh, how things go on like that. 
the third thing I need to let you know about is that Term 2 planning is underway. Um, and also we're looking at, it's so good to have the kids in the room. Hey kids, how are you today? You guys having fun? Yeah? If you don't know, if you're visiting with us, we've got some, some colouring in stuff on the side there. And I loved hearing you guys shake those shakers during the first part of the service, joining in with our worship. So good. Um, we're looking at potentially having a once a month kids orientated service and some specific teaching for them on that day. Um, maybe we'll pull them out and do that and let the adults have a bit of adult time as well. But, um, you know, all of that is just in the pipeline. Looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in the coming uh, three, six months. So, thank you so much, Monica. Thank you very much. Can I have this mic on, please? One? One, one, one. One, one, one. Yay. <laughs> I have the privilege of uh, um, introducing to you that Pastor Candidate. Would you please come up, Ian and Libby? Uh, so, Libby is his wife, and Ian is him. <laughs> Let's have just a brief focus and so that we can learn to know you both. Thank you for coming extra this weekend. It's been quite a bit of a drive and time investment. So just so that we can learn a little bit about you, Libby first to you. Can you tell us a little bit who belongs to your family? Um, so God has blessed us with four beautiful children, um, all ad adults now. So um, just we've got three girls, um, all in their 20s. And then David, who's the youngest, he's 22. We're able to bring him over here from from Sydney. So we've got one out of four to come with us. Um, but yeah, we've been very blessed with those. They're, they're great kids. Um, and also, um, I've got a horse called Bugsy. Um, he's back in Mandra, so hopefully I'll be bringing him over here if, if, we're, if we're, you know, um, if it's likely to move over. Um, and we've got a I've done counselling, at the moment I'm doing counselling in Bunbury, one day a week, and also I've done equine therapy. I don't need support, please. Thank you for that. Lexi, did you hear what the dog is called? <laughs> okay. Ian, uh, she just mentioned, Libby just mentioned Sydney. Can you tell us a little bit of your whereabouts and moves back and forth, and how did you come to come back to Westminster? Hi everyone. Uh, well, I guess I've lived in almost every capital city in uh, Australia. Uh, I grew up in Adelaide. Uh, my parents uh, dragged us up to Darwin, which was a, which is where Olivia and I met. She was from Melbourne originally, um, and uh, then I came down to Perth for two years. Went back up to Darwin. Came back down to Perth again, and we were living here for about uh, 14 years, I think it was, where each of our children were born. And then uh, I went over to uh, Melbourne initially to. Um, to study in theology, uh, ministry training, and then up to Mooring College in Sydney. And uh, we originally intended to go for, what, four years, I think, and then we were going to come back to Perth. And four years turned into uh, 20. Um, as I always say in Sydney that you can't afford to live there, but neither can you save up enough money to get out of there either. <laughs> so <laughs> very hard. But, uh, yeah, over in, over in Sydney, I uh, worked uh, um, as a student minister and then as a... Um, assistant minister, at, uh, one at an interdenominational church and then uh, at a Baptist church. And then after that, um, I ended up working for Australian Evangelical Alliance, which is a network of um, yeah Christians, organisations, churches and so forth 
uh, with an evangelical uh, theology, uh, basically working on, on public engagement. So, um, you know, a number of issues like freedom of religion in Australia. I was uh, involved in submissions to government and uh, on those sorts of matters. Uh, and then from there I went to work for uh, Morling College, which is now Post Seminary, you might know up in Sydney, has become part of Morling College. And I was there for six years. Uh, then, of course, uh, my family is still here in Perth. And then with um, COVID hitting, um, we were unable to see our family for a couple of years. And sadly, during that time, uh, my mother uh, basically was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and during those two years, rapidly declined. So we were very keen to come back over um, to Perth to spend uh, time with, uh, with her. And uh, just over this last year, yeah, it's, it's quite a rapid decline. Um, so during that time, of course, I've been um, praying to the Lord and asking what's, uh, what's next for us. And uh, Margaret River Baptist Church just would not uh, get out of our minds. And uh, I was saying to the committee yesterday, if you can do anything else but be a pastor, you should do that. Um, but um, if God uh, lays it on your heart to, uh, to pursue that, then, uh, yeah, you should follow that instinct. So... Um, that's no pressure, by the way, is to say, so God has told us that. Um, but, uh, yeah, let's all um, wait on the Lord and see what he has to say. Which is what we actually will do. But, Ian, could just for learning to know you a little bit, could you tell us a little bit about your Christian journey? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I grew up in a Christian family in Adelaide, as I said, and um, my parents were both um, Methodists. That's how far back we go. Uh, Methodist family, um, which became the Uniting Church. Uh, my dad stopped going to church after a while, and so the family um, didn't really sort of continue in that vein, except for my mum, who would make us um, get up and watch, you know, Sunday morning services on, on TV, and um, was always praying for us and always keeping that Christian influence, um, but felt very lonely, um, you know, during that part of, of life. Uh, we, we moved up to Darwin. Um, my last year of high school, we had a very evangelistic young fellow uh, who came to uh, our school. And he, he would just, um, yeah, I wouldn't say pester, but he was persistent in, um, in trying to get people to come along with him to church and to, like, youth group. And so I thought, I'm part of a Christian family. I, uh, you know, I'm a Christian. And I, along I went with him to um, youth group. And... Uh, I remember in particular there was a, uh, uh, probably 24 years old at that time. He seemed, you look back and they seem very old, but now you think 24, like a child. Um, but 24-year-old leader of this uh, uh, sing-along group, it was called, and uh, I just looked at them and said, I don't have what he has. He has something that I don't understand, and I want it. What's that joy that he has in knowing God? So I went back home afterwards and I said to my mother, Mum, I want to be a Christian. And so she was, you know, actually feeling myself quite emotional as I relive it in my mind. But yes, very emotional. And she said, I've been praying for you for so long. And so we prayed together and I gave myself my life to the Lord at that uh, that time. Um, And I might just just add that um, my sister and I, as as siblings often are, are very antagonistic to each other in teenage years. and uh, she noticed the difference that um, had come over me over those next few weeks. And um, so she ended up coming to church and then she became a Christian 
And then as a result of seeing all these things happen, my dad dedicated his life to the Lord. We were baptised together and uh, in the Baptist Church up in Darwin and uh, life has howled on ever since. Um, so, yeah, and that's my early Christian life. Very early, I've got a call to teaching, um, uh, teaching the Bible. And so my whole life basically has been um, in pursuit of that um, to the detriment of my family and, and money and owning a house and things like that, um, such is the life of ministry sometimes. Um, but, uh, yeah, never, never been a, a time where I would turn back, you know, hand to the plough and, and continue on. Yeah. Thank you for that. And just for the fun of it, Libby mentioned she loves horses. What's one of your pastime hobbies? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, don't judge me. Um, <laughs> uh, I love reading. I love movies. I love <coughs> video games um, <laughs> as well. Uh, nothing like shutting everybody else out and, um, yes, um, <laughs> there you go. Thank you for that. Can, you can just sit down for a, bit, for a minute until we listen to your message. Thank you for that, Ian and Libby. And as you've heard, uh, Ian has been keen on studying uh, the scriptures and so are we. So we actually uh, made an effort to learn a verse every month off by heart who can remember this month's learn verse tip it starts with cast yep here we go yeah, anyone else who else knows the verse who else come on cast on the Lord. And he will sustain you. <laughs> he will never, never. Never, 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 never let you go. Anyone else in need of beans? Come on. <laughs> cast them. Anyone else want some cast here? Never let you go. He will never let you go. Come on. Anyone else in need of beans? <laughs> Let's say together, cast your cares on the Lord, he will sustain you, he will never, 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 never let you go, right? So, let's sing that together. <laughs> um, now you know it's worth learning the verse every month, we'll have a new one next month, so make an effort to learn it. Demo, will you do the reading, please? We're reading from Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 9. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord 
This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretched, stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. We're going through to verse 9. To open, uh, I will keep you to make a covenant for the Gentiles, uh, for the people, a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and the new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. so important that we know the scriptures. And I just uh, want to invite uh, Lynette to actually drive that home. Uh, so <laughs> Morning, everyone. Um, still there. Uh, um, with our learning a memory verse uh, monthly, it's an opportunity um, it's not an obligation, um, but it's just a, a wonderful opportunity for us as a church family um, to consolidate knowing God, sharing Christ and caring for people. When we know God, when we know his scriptures, we can then go out and share that love and that knowledge with the people uh, here and in Margaret River. Um, kids, at the end of the service, if you could come and see me, we've got something um, extra for you to help um, learn the memory verses at home. So, thank you. Jane was showing it over there. Um, Jane was just uh, showing you what you're going to take home and hopefully commit to your memories. So we'll do that every month. Okay, let's stand up again together and uh, ask Christ to be all around us. And actually during that time, Okay, so before Ian comes to bring us God's word, open it up to us. We're going to read it, and we're going to read from, uh, from Matthew chapter 6. Um, now, if you are like me and have a Bible that has all the words of Jesus in red, you'll see that this is out of lots of things that are recorded Jesus said. And this is right in the middle here. We are in chapter 6, and we'll read from verse 5. And Jesus says here, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, 
For your father knows what you need before you even ask him. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they, they, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ian, can we invite you? Are you back here again? That was a bad idea, wasn't it? Good to be back here again and to uh, see you and to... Um, Reflect on God's word uh, together with you. Now, as um, was mentioned, there's been a there was a meeting yesterday with the core committee, um, and so maybe some of you are sitting there going, oh, "I'm going to be sitting there looking at everything that's said at this particular sermon and how he does it, whether I like it, etc." And that's fair enough. But um, if you can, um, as we go through God's word, try to put some of that aside and um, focus in rather on me and my performance. Um, Let's hear what God has to say through his, uh, through his word. And I decided uh, today to uh, preach on something which is um, not necessarily coming from the realm of strength, um, but rather, you might say, the realm of vulnerability. Because when it comes to prayer, maybe apart from fasting, um, that might be an area where you think, oh, gee, you should really work on that. And so I wanted to look at how Jesus teaches us very simply to pray, how it is that... Um, his priorities come forward in the way that he talks about prayer. And uh, also just think about, just to start off with, some of the temptations or some of the um, maybe doubts that sometimes we have when it comes to prayer. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, sometimes because you've been a Christian for a long time. And so what I want to look at, um, first of all, before we get into uh, Matthew chapter 6, is to think, what are sometimes some of the problems that we have with prayer? Because prayer is a tremendous, we all say this, and we all encourage one another rightly with this, that prayer is a tremendous privilege to be able to come before God and bring our lives before God, both in terms of submission and also in terms of requests and being involved uh, with God's mission in the world. Um, amazing privilege. But sometimes we can become discouraged and sometimes we can wonder, are we actually uh, making any difference when it comes to the questions uh, of prayer? So what are some of the things that sometimes prevent us from being more effective in prayer or to giving ourselves to prayer? Um, and this will vary for some people. Some of you may not even relate to this at all. Um, others of you, I suspect, uh, might. And the first thing might be just busyness of life. We've got so many things on. We've got to take the kids here and there. We've got stuff with work. Maybe we've got to do overtime. There's volunteering. The church itself and actually being involved in the church. So many things that add up on your, um, your timetable, your schedule. You go through your uh, diary, if you still use that, or your Google calendar and go, oh, there's just too much to do. So how can I really squeeze in a significant amount of prayer? Maybe I'll squeeze it in lately or I'll defer it and I'll make it up later uh, in the week, make it up tomorrow, a bit more prayer there. Read the... Um, quote attributed to Martin Luther, 
He said, I have so much to do today that I can't afford not to spend one or two hours in prayer. Who identifies with that remark? It just sounds completely counterintuitive, doesn't it? Like, I'm so busy as if I'm going to spend an hour or two in prayer. So, hard to relate to. And yet, I think this is one of the places um, where, on reflection, you might say, oh, I'm not sure if I can give myself to prayer. But is there anybody who's ever given themselves to prayer for 10 minutes, for 30 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour, and regretted it? Now, none of you would be brave to actually raise your hand if that was the case. But I suspect that the reason is, no, of course, prayer is worthwhile. Spending time in God's prison is worthwhile. But sometimes it's the move to enter in, isn't it, um, that prevents us. Okay, now this, this, I think, is probably a tough one, though. An element, maybe, of boredom. And that sometimes comes from not knowing exactly what to do. What am I actually doing here? Um, what's happening? Um, am I actually accomplishing anything in this? Is it just a kind of a Christian duty? Um, it's good to pray. I should pray. I will pray. What did I achieve? Is God actually listening to me? Jesus just said there, you know, don't be like the pagans babbling on, imagining that if, um, you know, if they talk long enough that God will listen. Um, Jesus assures us God is listening. But sometimes you wonder, is God actually hearing and concerned with what I'm saying? And then if you compare spending aside time of prayer with all the other attractions and distractions that are in our lives... Uh, I'm a big one, as I said there before. I, I love watching um, shows, you know, streaming, binge-watching, you know, all the series that people love. But can that become a temptation, a displacement of prayer by giving us all what gratifies us in the moment? Not saying that these things are in and of themselves always bad or not necessarily bad at all, but what does it mean putting it in the context of prayer, the priority of prayer? Is prayer just superfluous? Like, do we really need to do it? Maybe we just need to be get active and get out there and, and do things and um, God will be involved regardless. We don't really need to stop and pray. Worse, you think about all those fantastic promises in the Bible. Asking you shall receive, you know. Anything you ask in my name, I will, I will do it. Um, is God an over-promising but under-performing Maybe God's not powerful enough. Maybe he's not loving enough. Maybe God's too busy with the enormous universe to take care or take an interest in me. These are some of the thoughts that sometimes come to people like me, not you, of course. Um, but to many people, sometimes this is a, a thing. Why, why should I actually give myself devoted to prayer? And then one other thing, I suppose, thinking about what's the actual environment that we live in, the social environment that we live in. And... Um, there's an element where I think that we kind of feel that we have more or less control of our lives, okay? If we kind of have the financial resources, um, we have uh, government to back us up, we have um, technology that uh, enables us to actually um, feel like we're in control of things. 
Uh, just a matter of time before I can remote click an amen from all of you as well. It's coming, I know it. Maybe if we just apply the right techniques, um, you know, we can um, get the result that we want. Do we like being vulnerable and dependent um, on God or each other? Is prayer the place, the last place that you go when you just can't take it yourself? Like, oh, well, I guess there's prayer. Or, like, uh, I don't know if any of you used to watch The Simpsons back in the day. I remember Bart Simpson not uh, wanting to go and do his uh, exam and praying for um, snow to come and so he wouldn't have to go to school and do the exam. And Lisa Simpson came in and said, oh, yes, prayer, the last refuge of the scoundrel. Um, of course, he got his snowstorm and then he wanted to go out and play. And Lisa said, no, if God has answered your prayer, go and study for your exam. Okay, so these are sometimes some of the thoughts that uh, might come to, to many of us. And then on the other hand, um, maybe we have wrong expectations of prayer. It's going to get positive in a little bit, I'll just promise you as well. Um, what's prayer, though? Is it just about... I'm, going to, I'm a, bit, a little bit of a sarcastic person. But is prayer just kind of like our suburban life maintenance thing that we can call upon God to kind of top up where we're at? Is it just about uh, God helping us out with an aspirational lifestyle? Is that what prayer is all about? Is it about making life easier for ourselves? going along our own predetermined uh, journey through life. It's prayer just to help us out, you know, submit a, uh, you know, 10 prayer requests a week to um, make sure everything's just running nice and smoothly for us. Theologian Miroslav Wolf puts it that sometimes we talk about faith as being primarily as a kind of spiritual performance-enhancing drug, and prayer is part of that. You know, we pray that God will just give us that extra boost to be successful in our career or more successful as a parent or something like that. Um, so energising our kind of predetermined life or plans, or else we go to, go to prayer or the Christian life as a kind of soothing balm to rub on ourselves to recover when things go wrong. But as I said, I think there's a vis different vision that Jesus has uh, of prayer, when he uh, teaches us how to pray, something which has more to do with what God has intended in the world through the salvation that he's brought through Jesus' death and resurrection, something to do with eternal life, abundant life, which is the gift of God to us um, as we give ourselves to Jesus and his ways. And so the orientation that I want to talk about then is the fatherhood of God and the kingdom or reign of God. So, to begin with Jesus' prayer. Probably one of the most, apart from maybe Psalm 23, I don't know, it's probably one of the most familiar texts to, uh, to people in the world. Um, but I wonder sometimes whether we uh, reflect on it. Sometimes the repetition of it begins to ring dead in our ears. So let's kind of dive into it a little bit. So when Jesus says, you know, here's how you should pray, very simply. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, hallowed or honoured. So what does it mean here? We're talking about God as our Father. And a lot of people have said, oh, you know, like Jesus brought this idea of God as Father. No, I'd never heard of it before. Amazing. Um, you know, 
people just thought about God as like an angry old despot in the, in the sky. Um, and Jesus came to tell us that actually God is love and God is our Father. Um, not actually the case. Um, God is Father, the idea of God as Father goes back to even thinking about the, uh, the Exodus, which is really the, like the beginning of Israel's story. Um, in, uh, when Jesus, sorry, when Jesus, when Moses, never get those two confused, when Moses goes and sees the, um, the, the burning bush and, uh, and God speaks to him, Yahweh speaks to him, um, he says, go and see um, uh, Pharaoh and uh, tell him that Israel is my firstborn son and let my son come, go out into the wilderness and worship me. Um, so Israel itself had the basic concept that they were um, the, son, the son of God, the nation itself. Um, if you narrow that down a little bit as well, uh, there's also the idea that the king, the king of Israel is like God's son as well. That's in 2 Samuel 7, for those who are taking notes and want to look it up. Uh, Exodus 4, 22 to 23 was the other one. But in 2 Samuel 7, God calls the sons of David, the, the, um, the kingship, his dynasty, they're called sons of God as well. And you can also see in um, Psalm 2, which is a prayer of uh, ascension of the king of Israel. And uh, God says, today... You are my son, I have forgotten you. So the king is the son of God, which makes us think a little bit about Jesus, does it not? What does it mean to be the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God? And then in Isaiah as well, um, in another kind of new Exodus theme, uh, Israel is called um, the son of God. Uh, my sons and daughters in uh, Isaiah 43.6. But what does it mean to actually think about God as Father in this, um, this setting here Jesus is talking about. And I suppose depending, you know, as we often say, depending on our experience of fathers, we have different ideas about what, uh, what that looks like and what that feels like to actually hear the word Father. Uh, often if you ever had a, a good and kind father, you think, oh, that's good, I like that. Some people have not had a good relationship with their father, not uh, positive. But let's not define Father by our own experience, but let's think of how Jesus is talking about how he relates to God as Father and how he wants us to relate to God as Father as well. First thing I'd say, not projecting uh, too much onto it, is that the idea of Father is not primarily, it's not excluded, but it's not primarily about intimacy. It's not primarily about, ah, oh, now I can get close to God because he is Father, which is not to say that you can't, but that's not the main thing here. It's not even necessarily primarily thinking about a father caring for small children, although that is explicitly part of having God as father, isn't it? Which is what Jesus actually uh, goes on to talk about. Um, Jesus says, God is our father, always desires good things for us, always desires uh, our best. If you ask him for bread, he is not going to give you a stone. If you ask him for a Fish, he's not going to give you a snake, which is kind of like Jesus' wry humour there. I don't know whether sometimes we actually, with a familiarity, forget Jesus is a little bit, I think, sort of jovial with some of this, you know. You think about when he says, um, you know, not this kind of stern, if your brother has a speck in his eye and you have a log in your eye, well, that's just terrible. Just kind of imagine the kind of exaggeration and the, the humour in there as well. So that's part of it, but it's not the primary thing. I think part of what is primary in this idea 
is that a son, in this case, is apprentice to his father in this setting. He does his father's will. If you think about um, Jesus and his, before he begins his ministry and his work as either a carpenter or builder, um, because Joseph is a carpenter or builder, um, the son goes into his father's business. And then, of course, remember those words from Jesus himself. Is that where, where's Jesus? Uh, oh, it must be about my father's business. And then you can imagine Joseph going, yeah, oh, yeah, that father, our father. So, if we're apprenticed to what uh, the father wants of us, and this is men and women together as sons, it's not gendered issue here. Now, I say sons because sometimes if we talk about just being the children of God, we have an image of little children like, ah, um, oh, what's in the great? They're all children of God. Um, whereas actually, this is about a mature sonship. Um, it's great to be a kid when you're a kid, but when you're an adult, you need to be an adult. And so sonship in this context is actually learning what it means to actually do the Father's will. So this is men and women together. And you might see, of course, just in the beginning of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, there's a very explicit statement of what sonship looks like, where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Peace being shalom, or the harmony and the peace and the wholeness that comes um, through God's work in the world and particularly through Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers. We are people who are called by God to be like God, to bring shalom, to bring peace, to bring wholeness and healing into the world. Blessed are the peacemakers, the shalom makers, for they will be called the sons of God. So think again that sons of God is not something that you, uh, uh, if you do these things, you gain the status of a son but rather you are recognised as a son. Think of it as status and vocation um, primarily. All right, now, we're all members of God's family. We've been grafted into the people of God. We're part of the family of believing Israel, you might say, and we are one family. That's the context in which we come to prayer. We come to prayer in the context of being a family together. There is no individual, uh, individualistic approach to prayer that Jesus affirms. We all are personally responsible for prayer, each of us, but we pray also together and for one another as well as ourselves. Or should I say, we pray for ourselves as well as praying for other things too. Other people. Okay. So that's what it means partly to be to think about our Father uh, in heaven. Hallowed be your name. I know there's a lot... lot um, you know, we, um, people have different ideas about uh, that American uh, holiday of Halloween. I saw somebody say, enough of Halloween. We need Holyween. And uh, as weird as that sounds anyway, of course, the irony there is that holy and hallow are basically the same thing. So, um, yeah, hallowed be your, your name. What does that mean? It means honouring the name of the Father. It means, I guess it's, the, it's, it's part of approaching God in worship, not just in song, not just in uh, gathering together, 
um, in adoration, as it were, but actually honouring God in the way that we live and use the name of God. Um, think about the third commandment. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. And uh, to do so, it's a very serious matter uh, in Israel. And, uh, but I'm not going to go down that track because uh, it will actually raise a whole lot of stuff uh, about stoning. But um, taking the Lord's name in vain, ser- serious stuff. What is it, though? Is it, you know, I kick my um, uh, toe or bang my shin and say something I shouldn't have? Well, that's not a good thing. That's not a good use of God's name. It's not a good use of Jesus' name. But it's not the primary thing that's been talked about here. Largely, it's about using God's name and tying it to your own agenda or project um, and, in a sense, tying God to uh, whatever it is you have uh, in mind. Um, seeking to use God's name to bolster your own project. Uh, I think you can kind of see how that happens. Is anyone here from America, by the way? Good, let's get stuck into the Americans. Uh, I think you pretty much see that in American politics, don't you, is that there's a a use of the name of Christ, there's a use of uh, reference to God, which basically is to bolster a political viewpoint, either side, although it does tend on one side more than the other, but both sides do it grab the name of Jesus and, and basically say, Jesus is on our side. Okay, it's not about being on Jesus, uh, being, uh, having Jesus on your side. It's about saying, what's Jesus doing and getting on board uh, with that. So taking the Lord's name in vain, yeah, not a good idea. Instead, honour God's name. If you use God's name, you refer to God. Keep the name precious. Keep the name of Jesus precious, but keep the name of the Father precious as well. So, that's about tying God's name to our own projects, is, keeping the, is taking the Lord's name in vain. What's God's project? What's God doing? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is just like a fantastic uh, statement there. Um, and not just a statement, but actually ourselves, aligning ourselves with that hope and a desire to be involved with actually seeing God's kingdom come. So the kingdom of God, um, what does that mean? Well, that's the hope that Israel longed for, that finally God would be not just king in terms of Lord of the universe, but would be seen to be king, would be actively acting in the world in a way which would actually show that God was king. Um, And part of that, of course, was to vindicate God's people who'd been persecuted and suffered, Um, to forgive their sins, but also set them on a a path of shalom, to make peace in the world as part of God's mission. So the kingdom of God, sometimes people call it the reign of God. Um, It's both a reign, God's action, but also in the sense wherever it is becomes a place um, coming into the world. Now, the idea here of the kingdom of heaven is not talking about going to heaven. Okay, when Jesus talks... About the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about the rain that comes from heaven that comes into the world. So Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom of heaven, is telling us what God intends actually in our world, now and the future, rather than uh, when you get to heaven, here's, uh, here's how it all works. However it works in heaven is how it's supposed to work here on the earth. We're supposed to be bringing the will of God. So you will God on earth as it is in heaven. Is God's will done in heaven? Pretty much yes. 
Um, therefore, let's see the same thing happen here on Earth. I think it's important as well to, th to remember that this is not about uh, a kind of passive uh, aligning with fate. Like whatever happens to us, like, you know, like we had a car accident the other day. Uh, oh, well, God's will be done. Um, it's, it's not like a passive, you know, whatever the fates uh, determine, that's God's will. Um, sometimes you see uh, a good British war movie um, where before the soldiers go in, they might say the Lord's Prayer and, you know, God's will be done. That is, if I, if I get shot, God's will is done. Um, if I don't, God's will is done, which sounds a bit more like Allah than, um, in, uh, than it does the Father of Jesus and us. So it's not about submission in the sense of whatever happens submission, but it is about submission in terms of submitting ourselves to the will of God as we see Jesus teach it. Now the kingdom of God, of course, just before um, we... Uh, sorry. How much time have I got, Bruce? Because I've realised I'm not wearing my watch... And um, you say five to ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll just wait till the heel of my back winds down. And I'll, yeah. All right. G give me a wave when I'm like being to uh, stop. Okay. I have 65 points to get through. We're only up to three. Terrifying thought. Okay, so think about what Jesus has just said before he's actually prayed this prayer. And he says here uh, in uh, the very end of the uh, last verse of Matthew 4, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Meaning what? Change your mind. Change your whole orientation of life. Change the direction of everything. Leave behind the old, embrace the new. The kingdom of God is at hand. Meaning that it is coming right now. And um, believe the good news. The kingdom of God coming is good news. We need to think about how we communicate the good news uh, to people that they hear it as good news. That doesn't mean making people uh, as depressed as possible so then we can like, I know you didn't like that very much, but uh, now here's the good news. Um, there is bad news, but there is lots more good news. So the kingdom of God is the precursor to what we actually read in the Sermon on the Mount. So that's the, that, that's the context. It's everything Jesus is about. It's about alignment with the kingdom of God and it's about participation in the mission of God. God is at work in the world. This is about God being active in the world, but also through us. Um, it's not just about hoping that God will act in the mysterious ways of providence, we should pray for that. But um, it's about us being, in a sense, the answer to those uh, prayers uh, as well. I don't want to reduce it down to that, but um, as we'll see in a moment, think about uh, what Jesus says and what he's just said. Last point on this, though, I just want to say that um, when we come to God and we talk about the will of God and wanting to see it done, Part of what is challenged here too is the desires of our own hearts, is it not? That we realise that we're not the centre, but our Heavenly Father does care for us. On the other hand, bad things happen, but our Father does care for us. But we're not the centre of everything. We're not unimportant, but we're not the centre. So what do we go on to pray then? 
Jesus goes on to pray here. Give us today our daily bread. Okay. So we actually do want God to act. We do want God to, um, to provide. Notice again that it's plural. It's not just about myself. Give me today my daily bread oh, and my family and um, those closest to me. Amen. Um, we want to pray for all of the people of God together. The things that we need, yes, but we ask for them in the context of our membership in God's family. Remembering that, again, it's in the context of being apprenticed to God to desire what he desires above our own schemes and projects, as it were, that his will and reign to coming into the world, challenging our ways of doing things, even our often good intention but sinful visions of power and less well-intentioned visions of power and prosperity at the expense of others. It's a little bit uh, tricky one here, actually, on the thing as a bit of a side note, is that in Matthew, it's the idea of give us today our bread for tomorrow. And then in Luke, it's more like our bread each day. Either way, give us that bread, please, Lord. Okay, let's pray then for not just our own interests. Pray for our community. Pray for our country, other Christians around the world, other countries around the world that we see enormous needs every time we watch the news now. Um, I guess it's always been that way, but it just seems so intense right now. Let's pray for God's work in other parts of the world and to pray how do we become involved in God's will to bring peace, shalom, wholeness and healing to those parts of the world as well. Okay, without showing us, and the desire of the praise of others, of course. Now, this is where we're nearly, we're near the end. I'm ignoring Bruce now, actually, even if he does wave, wave at me. Um, this is, as they say, where it gets real. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Let's conclude and not listen to that part of this. Surely that's one of the hardest, um, the hardest words that we hear. And doesn't it hit us right in the middle of where we are? Forgiveness is a recognition that we've fallen short. Like Paul says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. We're all work at times at cross-purposes with God. We often work against our own better life, you might say, and our own contribution to a better world. We often work against the flourishing of other people. But the life of the kingdom... It's about the forgiveness of debts. It's a bit like a spiritual jubilee. To live in the kingdom is to live in the freedom of forgiveness and the freedom of forgiveness of others. And if you don't live in the freedom of forgiveness of others, though forgiven, you might say of your past life, you're not going to live in the freedom of forgiveness. If we live in the freedom of forgiveness, it means we must extend it to others. And if we didn't get that, darn it, he says it again at the end of the prayer. Mm. Um, if you do not forgive your brother or sister, your heavenly father will not forgive you. Because you're living in an ongoing state of sin, um, which you've not stopped and left behind. Now, I don't want to pretend that forgiveness is easy, and this is not time to launch into sermon part two about the nature of forgiveness but we have to remember that if we're going to 
live in the freedom of forgiveness, it must be extended to others. And we need to ask, are we living in such a way that the forgiveness that we receive is part of God's will coming into the world, part of his will being done on earth as in heaven, we must embrace and practice it ourselves. And not to do so, well, Jesus goes on to say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I'd say that if we refuse forgiveness of people, for people, then why pray the next part when you've determined that uh, you're going to fall into the time of testing, the time of temptation, and don't want to be delivered from the evil of unforgiveness? What's a temptation? Well, a time of testing. Um, we shouldn't trivialise it. Often we read scripture and we try to bring it, you know, I want to say it wouldn't be relevant to me, but sometimes it means we down to sort of it just fits nicely within my life. Um, it's not just about, when you say lead us not in temptation, it's not just about, oh, the other day I wanted to say a bad word or I um, got a bit mad. Um, it's a lot more serious than that. This is about testing our loyalty and fidelity to God. Are we actually people who want uh, to overcome the time of testing uh, when it comes to confessing Christ, not just in terms of the words, which we want to do, but in the manner and way in which we live our life, the integrity um, that we need to live to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as in heaven. Everything that Jesus says here, he experienced and lived out himself, did he not? Um, on the cross, isn't Jesus and leading up to it, is not his um, fidelity and loyalty to God being tested to his father. In Gethsemane, in the wilderness, at the beginning of his ministry following his baptism, uh, when Peter declares him to be the Messiah and uh, immediately says, and what that means, the Messiah will have to go and suffer at the hands of the Gentiles and, and be killed and, and rise again. And Peter says, oh, no, no don't, don't let that happen. Lord, the man who just confessed him as Messiah and Jesus turns to him and says, something you would never want the Lord to say to you, get behind me, Satan. Um, oh, can you imagine like that? Devastating to hear that from the Lord. Jesus was tested and in Gethsemane, sweating drops of, like drops of blood, uh, he prays, if there's any other way, Father, but your will be done. It's a spiritual battle that we are in, okay? Um, we won't go into huge detail about that, but we all know that we face struggles, opposition, and that as well. The way that we meet it in terms of being peacemakers, in terms of forgiving the debts and sins of others and doing God's will in the world, that's our way of overcoming. As Paul says, don't overcome be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. So prayer is a recognition of our struggle that in a world that runs in so many ways contrary to the purposes of God, against love, against generosity and grace and forgiveness, it often turns from intimidation, bullying, violence, all of those things. Jesus uh, himself lived contrary to that and he calls us to live contrary to that uh, also. Okay, I just want to finish with 
I guess some practical things. We like practical things at the end of our sermons, don't we? In light of this, I just want to say a couple of extra things that won't take long. The first thing is that God can handle your prayers. Okay, we're talking about the kingdom of God coming into the world. There's nothing really that God uh, can't handle. And that's also in terms of the way that you speak to God as well. So bearing in mind we've said about talking to our Father and honouring his name. But scripture also gives us quite a lot of things where people, um, particularly in the Psalms, where people protest against God. You know, Why this? Why that? Why is this happening? Didn't you promise this? Why is this happening here? You can pray that. Um, you've been given permission to pray that. It's in the Psalms. You can pray and complain to God. Not naturally with the idea that um, that God is going to say in, uh, something good and do something for your good uh, as well. But it's okay to kind of protest against things that, that you feel um, are unjust, or not just feel, but are unjust. It's okay to pray and lament in the light of things that happen in, um, in our world too. Um, prayer is not a quick fix-it. Uh, God doesn't promise it's a quick fix-it. He does promise you will act. Um, while you're going through things, it's okay to lament. When evil things happen and it feels that God has not answered, it's okay to lament. This is not just about being, it's not about being passive or anything, it's about being active in response to God. And keep petitioning God, keep asking God things, keep asking for things. The other thing is that God doesn't need excuses. And you don't need to provide excuses on God's behalf. Sometimes we can pray, if it be thy will, which is um, an okay thing to pray. But it can also be a way of saying, if it be thy will, so if it doesn't happen, oh, well, it wasn't God's will, etc. And therefore there's no basis to protest or lament or anything, is there? Um, You don't need to provide excuses. God has opened himself up for you to pray and ask him things. So, Pray. And don't, don't excuse him. If something doesn't happen, ask. This mystery, we don't always understand things. We're not always going to understand. But, um, yeah, don't provide excuses on God's behalf. Be bold in prayer. Ask for things. Ask for things with a desire in your heart to see God's will in the world, to be apprenticed to him as a peacemaker in the world and to see his will come into the world. But by all means, ask for things. Libby and I have a very um, uh, up and down uh, relationship with keeping a journal of prayer. I keep saying, we're going to do it this time. This year is the year of the prayer journal. Write down your requests. Check them. Has God actually... Did I forget I prayed that? Did God actually answer that? What happened? Um... Look at it and evaluate your own prayers too, I suppose, in that respect too. Uh, Look back on your prayers and remind God and yourself. And always show gratitude and praise for answered prayer, of course. The last thing, with questions on prayer, don't forget James chapter 1. Any of you lack wisdom, even in this matter of prayer, let him ask of God.
God is willing to come to us and to relate to us and speak with us and, as well. So, as we finish t- today, um, yeah, I just ask you to reflect on your life of prayer, reflect on your life of prayer together, to gain hope that God will actually answer your prayers together, both for yourselves, but for your church, for the community, and for our fellow believers and others around the world. Let's pray for them all. Let us not lose hope in prayer. Let's be persevering in prayer. In Jesus' name, let us do it. Amen. Yes. Thank you, Ian, for opening God's word to us. I actually want no better place right now to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And we will be up on the screen. Let's read and pray that together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand and sing together our last song. Um, Our last song comes from uh, 60s, uh, not 60s, no, 70s and 80s, really. It's one of the old scripture and song type songs. Those of you who are alive in the uh, 70s and 80s probably would know it. For everyone else, we're going to sing it three times, so I'm sure you'll get it, and it's pretty straightforward. And it's interesting, isn't it, in those times, life seemed to be pretty simple. Here we're told that all we need do is to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. That's what we want to do as we go out. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for today's word, for opening our hearts to your word. Thank you for Ian to bring it to for him to bring it to us. Father, we pray that your will be done in our lives this week. And as we relate to others and to each other, Father, we pray that you will be wrought in love. Amen.